Good to see everybody this morning. Isn't it just good to be together? Amen. Amen. Josh, thank you. Awesome job. Appreciate that. Yeah. We, we thank the Lord for the way that he puts his family together. And then we get to be a part of it. So a little bit of review. I'm going to look at verse 41, chapter 12. You got your Bibles, get them open. Did you catch that verse? A little bit of review. These things Isaiah said, so going back hundreds of years, John's saying, Isaiah saw his glory. Do you remember that? He spoke of him. So what did Isaiah say? In a vision, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So number one on your sheet. John wrote that the glory Isaiah saw, the glory of the Lord, he saw Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. The implication is startling. Jesus is this Lord of hosts. This is a great verse when you have discussions with those who are being deceived and they're being told that Jesus is something less than God, very God, the Son of God. A wonderful mystery to ponder, isn't it? That our God, our Creator, would become one of us. I, I love the verse, First Timothy 3.16. Great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. That God would choose to become one of us. Oh, isn't that so amazing? And then beyond that, that he would choose to die in our place, to take our sins, my sins, upon himself, to set us free for eternity. Well, now we come back to the scene, Jesus' final public invitation, verses 44 through 50, as we look at, begin to look at that section. So remember, he's speaking to the religious leaders and the crowd that's gathered and Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him, the Father who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world from heaven itself. That whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Number two on your notes, that Jesus 
is making a final public appeal to the Jews who would crucify him. And he's saying, whoever believes in me, oh, how he loves them. Isn't that amazing? The invitation is to these religious leaders who already tried to stone him two times that we're aware of. And he's giving this invitation to them. And the love of God is is flowing as Jesus is sharing this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and his one and only son loved the world that he came that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus goes on, verse 47, If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I don't judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And he goes on and he says something really critical. He who rejects me does not receive my words and does not receive my words has that which judges him. What's that? The word that I have spoken will judge him in that day. And he's looking at these religious leaders face to face. And in your notes number three, deny the evidence, ignore the obvious about Jesus, and it's not Jesus who judges you. He loves you. That's why he came. It's your rejection of him that brings judgment on yourself. Each and every person has a personal decision to make, and it's about Jesus. 4, verse 49. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say, what I should speak, and I know that his command is everlasting life. The light of the world has come, freedom from sin, forgiveness, being set free from the dominion of Satan in this world. Therefore, whatever I speak, Just as the Father has told me, I speak. Jesus is now finished talking to the religious leaders. He's finished at the temple. He said all that he's going to say at this point. Now he begins to huddle together with his his men, the twelve disciples. And the next three chapters in the book of John... That's what we're going to see. We're going to see the events in the upper room. It's known as the upper room discourse. Here's the exciting thing. The Apostle John says, Hey, why don't you guys come with us and join us in the upper room. Chapter 13. Verses 1 through 11. We'll see Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So here we go. Now, verse 1. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus, he knew that his hour had come. It was the time, 
that he came to this earth to accomplish, it had finally come. All the teaching, all the miracles, all the words, all the love that he's poured out, it's come to this time. And Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. So he's leaving the crowds behind. His hour has come. He knows it. Every minute that he has now with the disciples, it's more precious than ever. Last hour on earth, he's spending with those that he loves the most. Jesus looks at his disciples and he calls them his own. Did you see that? So too, the followers, every follower of Jesus, we are his own. We are called his own sheep in John chapter 10. We're called his brethren. And he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. Those of us who just simply believe in him, give our hearts to him. He calls us his own bride, Ephesians 5. We are his body, 1 Corinthians. One that I like the most is this. We are his pearl of great price. Look at Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. What was the price? Peter tells us he bought it with the precious blood of Christ. A great price indeed. Jesus has spent three years pouring his life into these men. Wow, these guys must have been really special indeed for the God of the universe to come and to call these 12 guys to be his men and to spend time with him. And these guys must have really been something else, right? Have you wondered about that? Well, Dr. Luke shares us a little bit about these guys that kind of bring them back down to earth. Dr. Luke shares this, Luke 22:24. This is the night in the upper room when Jesus knows, knows that his time has come. He's headed for the cross. And what are these guys doing? <laughs> now there was also a dispute among them. Which one of them should be considered the greatest? What? What was Jesus' reaction? You see, he knew exactly what was going on. Look at the end of verse 1. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them to the fullest extent. Number four on your notes. Jesus looked at this motley crew of disciples that had been pulled together, the renegades, and he loved them to the end, literally to the uttermost, to the fullest extent. In other words, he loved them with no limit. Even though he was aware of their past, present, and future falterings. Past, remember James and John? 
They don't want you to come to their village. Let's call down fire and toast them good. And Jesus, oh no, you guys don't know what I'm about, do you? Or Peter. He had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And now present, they're disputing among themselves who's the greatest. Who's the most important one? Who's Jesus going to honor? And the future? He told He's going to tell Peter, Satan's going to sift you and you're going to fall. And he's going to tell all the disciples, you're going to betray me. You're going to leave me. You're going to scatter. You're going to forsake me. We're in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. Not only were they arguing about who's the greatest, but they came to the table not even willing to wash their own feet, and so they're coming to the table with stinky feet. It was customary for the servant to wash off the dust of, of guests' feet when they would come to a meal or come to a home. But nobody's going to be washing other people's feet here. They're arguing about who's the greatest, and they're not even going to wash their own feet. No one's humbled themselves. So here we go. Jesus knowing their past failures, their present arguing, their future flaws, stinking feet and all, and he loves these guys to the uttermost. Number five, the disciples will let him down. They'll break his heart. Jesus will be forsaken by the very people he came to save. To me, the strongest proof of his deity is not that Jesus walked on water or even that he called Lazarus from the grave. It's his love. It's his love. Despite the personal hurt that he endured, Jesus loves these men. Only God can love like that. And that's the kind of love Jesus has for you and for me. Isn't he something? So we're at the, in the upper room, we're at the dinner. The dinner being ended. The devil, verse 2, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to back to the Father, back to God, rose from the supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he had girded himself. So Jesus is looking at this motley crew of disciples. They're bickering, they're stinky, and he just loves them. That's because who he is. That's telling us why he came. Only God has that kind of love. 
Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, that's when Christ came and died for us. This would be a lesson, this foot washing, this would be a lesson that the disciples will never forget. Especially Peter. We're going to look a little more closely at verses 4 and 5 and just kind of walk through them. It's a wonderful picture of who Jesus is. First of all, verse 4, He rose from supper. Well, just as Jesus rose from the Last Supper, the Passover meal, think of this. Jesus also rose in eternity past from the banquet and communion that he was enjoying with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He rose from his throne in heaven and he willingly came to earth. And from the message translation, he, Jesus, had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. And then, as we go on in verse 4, he laid aside his garments. And just as Jesus laid aside his garments on earth that night, he chose to lay aside the garments of his glory, his divinity, and come and dwell among us and become one of us. He, Jesus, set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. Why, he became human. He became one of us. And then he took a towel and he girded himself. Just as Jesus wrapped himself in a towel, so He wrapped his divinity with humanity. He was the God-man. He was still God, totally God, always God, yet he wrapped himself in flesh and blood to become one of us. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges instead. And think about this. Instead, he lived a sinless, obedient life. And in verse 5, it says, He took the water that he poured out and he began to wash the disciples' feet. So just as Jesus took that water and poured it out, and wash the disciples' feet. Jesus will soon pour out his own precious blood on Calvary's cross to wash our sins away, to cleanse us from the guilt and penalty of sin. And then he died a selfless, obedient death, the worst kind of death, crucifixion. In your notes, number six, as Jesus began humbly washing the disciples' dirty feet, this was a picture of Jesus' precious blood 
washing away their sins. Now, you know Peter, he's going to have to learn this the hard way. So he comes, verse 6, he comes to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, Peter, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but but you need to trust me. You'll know after this. You'll find out the full extent of what I'm doing. But Peter, he again thinks he's got a better idea. Peter said to him, You'll never wash my feet. What was going on? What was he thinking? Well, remember these guys had been disputing, arguing, bickering, who's the greatest? And Peter, I think, was probably thinking kind of something like this. Huh, those big shots that sit up at the head of the table that Jesus has sitting next to them. Huh, I'll show them who's the most humble of all. I'll show them who really loves Jesus. I'll show them who deserves to be sitting next to Jesus. Why, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm going to show you who's the humblest of this crew, and I'll be washing your feet because you're the master. Aha! I passed the test. Right, Jesus? And what was Jesus' response? to Peter's great surprise. Jesus answered him, verse 8, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. His balloon popped. (laughs) He goes, what? What's going on? What's happening? The last thing that Peter thought Jesus would be saying He thought Jesus would say, why, my, you are humble. You just come right up and sit next to me. You'll be number one in this bunch. But Jesus says, you let me do this or you have no part with me. And so I like Peter's response. He's a a quick learner once he gets there. Simon Peter said to him, well, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head, he gets it. He goes, Peter, you, Lord, you just wash all of me. What, whatever I need, you do. The song, The Precious Blood, came to mind. Oh, the precious blood that flowed from mercy's side washed away my sin when Christ my Savior died. Oh, the precious blood of Christ the crucified, it speaks for me before your throne, where I now stand justified. The blood of Christ as he washes away our sins, that word justified, it just literally means just as if I'd never sin. And Jesus' response to Peter when he says this, this is 
kind of fascinating as I looked this over. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, Well, now he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. Let's stop there. You are completely clean. You are justified. See, these guys had put their faith in Jesus. And Jesus is teaching them about what that means to be completely clean and then to need their feet washed. See, in the custom of the day, when you would be invited to uh, get together at somebody's home, you'd go to a public bath, you'd take your bath, and then from the public bath you would come, your sandals tied up, laced up, and you'd make it through the streets to the home and the dust and so forth of the street would get on your feet. By the time that you would get there, your feet would be dirty, but you, of course, would be clean because you just took a bath and you didn't need another bath, but it was customary to have your feet washed and the street dust washed away. And Jesus says, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. That's the picture that he was showing them that they would understand very well. And number seven in your notes. And this is the case for a Christian. Come to Jesus and you get a bath. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all your sin, past, present, future, justified completely clean. In Christ, our inner man is spick and span as if we'd never sinned. But outwardly, we have to walk through this wicked world day by day. And we pick up the street dust, don't we? We pick up the struggles that are around us. The talk, the attitude, our disposition, the frustrations that we go through, our failures, the worldly associates, their negativism, the, the words that they use, the garbage that surrounds us sometimes. And Jesus is saying, you don't need another bath. What you need, because your inner man has been cleansed for eternity, What you need is a daily, regular foot washing. We get cleansed, and the influences of this world are again washed away. I I love the picture of 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, if we agree with God that we need Him, and we need Him to continually be with us and walk with us and to cleanse us, Why he's faithful and just, our sins are forgiven, but he wants to continue the cleansing from inside out. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. Jesus wasn't quite finished. We finish verse 10. And you, Peter, and the other disciples... 
You guys are clean. But then he says, not all of you. See, nothing ever surprises the Lord. He always knows exactly what's going on. For he knew, verse 11, who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. Let's consider Judas for just a little bit as we kind of wrap this up. So Judas has been with Jesus for three years now. He's seen miracle after miracle. He's heard Jesus' words. He's felt the love of Christ. He's just walked with Jesus. You couldn't get any closer to Jesus than this group of guys were. And yet, through all of that, Judas has never opened his heart to Jesus. I can't think of anything more tragic Can you? No. And it's kind of a picture. You can grow up in a Christian family, going to a church that loves the Lord and teaches the Word of the Lord and loves each other. And you can walk with these dear friends and You can go to Sunday school and you can go to Bible studies and you can go to church and you can even feel Jesus in the presence of the community. And yet you can be like Judas. You just never open your heart personally to him. Well, I can't think of anything more tragic than that. And I'm thinking if that could happen to the twelve, it most certainly could happen in this church family. Oh, may that never happen. So as we wrap this up, the truth of the matter is John 1, 11, and 12. He came to his own, but most of his own did not receive him. And talk about his own. Judas was one of the twelve. And he didn't open his heart to Jesus. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed on his name. Josh, come on up. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And most certainly even at this last supper that Jesus was having with the disciples, and, and we'll see as we move forward in this context, that Jesus was even there knocking on Judas's heart. Whoever opens their heart's door, Judas, it's not too late. 
I will come in and we'll fellowship together. It'd be like having a, a sweet time of fellowship, a meal together for the rest of our lives. And then, oh, heaven? Why, you haven't seen anything yet. So before we go to this last song of worship, we started off with Isaiah saying, I've seen the Lord high and lifted up. These guys saw the Lord humbly washing their feet. Wow. That's who Jesus is. He's God Almighty, and yet a God that wasn't so almighty that he wouldn't give himself to become one of us and to take on our sins and to love us so much that he died on the cross for our sins. Isn't he something? Why would you not want to open your heart to him while you can trust him with your whole life? If you happen to be one who's been close to him but has never opened your heart, may today be the day that you just simply say, Lord, I'm going to stop living my own life. I'm going to stop playing games. I'm just going to open my heart to you. Oh, thank you for dying for my sins, setting me free, and now guiding my steps day by day. Just receive Jesus as your Savior, won't you? Lord, as we close this service, we see you high and lifted up, and we love you for being the one who became our servant to wash our sins away. Thank you for the hope that you've given us in showing us what love really looks like. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone who has been traveling in your company but never opened their heart, I pray that today would be the day they open their heart to you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and close our service and worship him. Thanks, Josh. So maybe you've been walking through this world and feet are a little stinky. Oh, just confess, Lord, I continue to need you. Oh, won't you just cleanse me? Just continue that process in my heart, my life. This world has got me frustrated. I'm dealing with this and that and oh what a great time to get a, your, your stinky feet washed right now let's just take a second Lord
I confess that I need you. I love you so much for loving me. You're faithful and you're just. You died for my sins. You paid the price. Oh Lord, I need your cleansing like never before. I just want to become more like you. Oh, help me. I just struggle with the stuff that we're going through and feel helpless sometimes. Lord, just wash me and renew my heart, my spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.